Hey, Chris, thank you for joining us. Welcome to Atwood Unleashed. How are you doing? Yeah, good. Happy to be here. Thanks. Oh, it's our pleasure entirely. Um, maybe you could just explain to our uh, viewers and, and listeners how you would describe your work. How would you describe your background? My background? Okay, yeah, I grew up in Houston, Texas, actually, and I went to the Air Force Academy. I wanted a different life. You know, I saw the suburbanites kind of around me in Houston. Uh, I wanted a different life, more exciting life. So I went to the Air Force Academy and I grew up playing a lot of video games, actually. Uh, and so I graduated from the Air Force Academy with a material science degree and did well in pilot training, I think due to a lot in part to playing video games, also being on sports teams, all that stuff. Uh, but did well. So I was an F-16 pilot basically for 18 years. So I lived all around the world with my family. You know, I have a, a wife and three kids now. And at 20 years, uh, we were in Spain, uh, retired. Uh, so retired after you can retire after 20 years in the in the U.S. military. That's the huge carrot, right? And then you get a pension directly uh, from that time. Uh, retired and then moved to Portugal. Um, had to do something uh, with my life. So I, I was talking to my kids one day. What do they want to be when they grow up? And it, it, my daughter, she said, uh, I want to be an astronaut. You know, I was like, wow, that's, that's pretty good. You know, Or a YouTuber. <laughs> I was like, oh, what? Oh, no. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, having said that, I mean, yeah. but I mean, what really jumped out at me there, and I think you give give hope to millions of men of a certain age there when you sort of implied there were some transferable skills <laughs> uh, between video games and flying aircraft. Maybe maybe you can talk a little bit more about that link. Is it mean, is this hand-eye coordination, concentration, you know, goals? How does this work? Yeah, well, actually, I think... Um... I think all of those things you mentioned, actually, you know, there's a lot of demand for whatever reason. Now you see all the addiction, you know, my kids are addicted to video games, but I play them with them, actually. Um, there's demand there and drive. Right. And what it what it taught me growing up, one one key thing I think people kind of don't don't, uh, I guess, give give a weight to is that you die and you just try it again mm. and you die and then you try it again, you know, and you die and you try it again, you die, you try it again, you die, you try it again. Uh, you die and you try it again. So, and then you die, and you try it again. The point is you <laughs> just never give up, you know? And, um, and you, I think that's what actually sustained me through fighter piloting, you know, as well as the hand coordination. So yeah, it, actually the, the hand, the, the hand skills really do, uh, help. Um, but they only get you so far, you know, at some point, uh, the hand skills, I, I was, I was actually quite good at, with hands, right? I had really good hands in pilot training. I won all the awards you know, coming right out of pilot training, you know, distinguished graduate, top graduate, whatever. But then I was cocky and not as, you know, hard, hard working as the other pilots. Right. And they just passed me, you know, cause it's, it's just dedication over years and years. These guys are just totally dedicated. Um, and, you know, so they just maintained it, you know, so yeah, they're able to pass their so dedication and then, yeah, using those hand-eye coordination skills, 3d environments, you know, I mean, you're fighting <laughs> it's a, you know, it's, it's a perfect, you know, I've literally fought with airplanes and video games for years, you know, or cars or whatever, guns, you know, whatever it is. And then now do it for real, you, you know, it's a transferable wow. skill. Like, Have you ever done any of this gaming in a, in a sort of virtual reality environment at all? I've got a massive virtual reality uh, aficionado myself. That's amazing. No, I haven't. My kids, we, we literally just had a discussion last week. They convinced me I need to get a VR you know, just set up or whatever. I do a DCS, Digital Combat Simulator, and I used it for a lot of my recreations. I, I don't play it actually for fun. You know, I guess I wasn't a huge aviation enthusiast, you know, um, 
but I use it for my video recreations, try and recreate these engagements, you know, cause these fighter pilots saw these, these UFOs. So, um, I use that and that is amazing. The flying is amazing. VTOL. If you've heard of VTOL, V-T-O-L, I, I take I have done that flying V-T-O-L. It's an amazing game. It's literally breakthrough blew my mind. Excellent. It'd be interesting to get a pilot's perspective on virtual reality training in, a, in a, an aircraft just to see if it is transferable. Mm -hmm. I'm almost because I, I play a game that allows you to sort of fly very light aircrafts. And I'm, I'm wondering now if I could get a real one off the ground just from what I've learned in VR. Without a doubt. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's getting it back down again. That might be an issue. You, it, I mean, you practice in the simulator. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, a huge part of my career, I, you know, I say fighter pilot, and I kind of skimmed over there, but each assignment really is is a three-year assignment in a different country. And so I, I lived all around the world, and a lot of that was simulators, actually. <laughs> I was running a simulator contract, which was, uh, it was 16 F-16 simulators, you know, million-dollar contract, et cetera, in uh, Phoenix, basically overseeing that. And then just like what you said there, my last assignment was in uh, Spain. And Spain is... We had 30 people, essentially 30 pilots or aircrew actually would come through and do this course all together. It's called tactical leadership program. It's the funnest program ever. The UK does send people there, but you guys stop sending uh, fighters, which I think is a huge mistake. You know, it's a huge mistake. Anyway, UK it I'll, does, I'll have uh, a word. does participate. I'll have a word with the boss. It's called tactical leadership program. It's, it, it is unbelievable training in, in all of my years in the Air Force. Uh, I went to that program tactical leadership program. And it was just so amazing. It was located in Belgium at that time. And now it's in Spain. It's in Albacete, Spain, where I was, where I was stationed last. And that was amazing. And I was actually, uh, the commander there, or, uh, I wasn't the commander. I was chief, uh, flying officer essentially. And we instituted 30 simulators basically using, um, not VR, but ready for VR 30 of them. And what that does now is a normal simulator that I worked on before has 11 domes around it. Each camera system, each camera costs $50,000, right? To point at these domes, each, uh, each screen, because you need that high fidelity, right? You're training it to, mm. you know, to, with missiles, long range systems. So you, you need, you need HD 4k essentially. Well, if with VR, like you kind of mentioned, right, I can replace this $1.5 million dome with a $5,000 piece of equipment. You know, imagine. So it's, it's going to just blow apart the industry. Yeah, simulator training, for sure. Uh, I think I think one of the the phrases I heard in terms of virtual reality training is that mistakes are free, which is is an interesting way to look at it, isn't it? Um, maybe you could just explain GeForce to us then. Many of us who haven't, well, I would I suspect the overwhelming majority of us haven't experienced any significant amount of GeForce. What does that mean exactly? And what's that like to experience? And to what extent can you experience it before it gets too dangerous? Yeah, GeForce. So gravity, really the big G, we call it. God's G, we'll talk about it. Because uh, when <laughs> you're like fighting, that. you know, in a vertical fight, if you imagine a plane going down, right? If I'm fighting against God's G, my turn circle is really big, you know? So if you're fighting vertically, this is really big, but at the top, it's small, right? Because if you get up to the top, you go slow, 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 slow. And now I do a little curve around. So it's an egg, right? So uh, we call that God's G. You can you can kind of see it when we're fighting in a, in a vertical fight. You know, I've been in a vertical mm -hmm. fight with an F-18 and, you know, I'm, I see him up there like, oh, I can, you know, I'm pointing down. I'll go faster. I'll catch him, you know? I'm, I'm fighting against God's G though. And that's where you feel it really 
because um, right now we're at 1G, right? The, the human body can essentially withstand up to nine gravity, so nine times that. You know? And is that, is, I've, I've heard this expressed before, and I don't know if it's accurate, but is that kind of um, equal nine times your own body weight? Yes. Okay. Yeah, it's the acceleration. So it's, it's uh, your, your body weight is your mass, you know, how many things of you there are, I guess, that we don't know the things really exist. But anyway, that things of you times the acceleration. So yeah, here you weigh one, one gravity times whatever it is, uh, stones or what, what you use. Uh, but if you're now pulling, it would be nine times that number. Yeah. Wow. And what does yeah, that so feel you can't like? move. It's, you can't, you have to basically, um, when you're fighting essentially, uh, and you do feel G's, you have felt it. If you're on a roller coaster, um, you, you do feel some G's and I, you know, to be honest, that's the biggest part of flying that I miss. I found actually, um, I, apart from the camaraderie, which is amazing. And, uh, yeah, there are these intense, uh, you know, it's, there's very, uh, intense situations, you know, where you can, you can perform or fail, you know, and, and if you perform, it's awesome. And if you fail, it really sucks, you know? Um, so I, I do miss that, but what I've noticed, actually, I miss the most, my body physically misses the G's like it. So when I go to, uh, amusement parks, I, I really enjoy it, you know, especially the light G's. Cause when we want to go fast in a, in a fighter, you want to decrease that, that gravity. You want to decrease your drag. So you push forward in a fighter, you know, so it'll push forward and now you're going to have uh, zero gravity. So zero gravity is, uh, actually the fastest that you can accelerate, you know, in a, in a fighter. So I, I miss that in roller coasters. And then at the end, or, or if you accelerate up really fast, that's probably three G's, you know, three to four G's. So you, you've, you've felt the G's. That's what it feels like. It's just the, the amount, you know, above four or five G's now, it, you can't move your arm, you know, it'll be stuck to wherever it is, you know. Um, how how many G's before you get that bizarre, horrible looking stretchy face thing going on? <laughs> yeah, I don't... I don't know, actually. Uh, probably four or five G's is when you get it. Uh, what you do get is called Jesels. We call it Jesels. The it's measles. You know, measles combined with G G's. So we call it Jesels. And what what happens is is uh, your blood vessels will break all along your arm. Here, it'll just be like uh, red. It looks like a strawberry. You know, um, and you know along your 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 butt essentially and. Uh, Along all there, you get these uh, red spots where the capillaries actually physically break uh, because the the G's, you're, you know, your body is not used to that. Um, so in order to not pass out, because you really can't, you'll pass out about above four G's if you don't do a special breathing and and body strain technique that's called any G straining maneuver. So you, you can actually practice it. I don't know if you guys want to try it. I'll show it to you. But I would love to see this breathing technique. You would. Okay. So yes, what you do is you, you, you know, you're sitting there straight. The first thing is you need to squeeze all of the muscles in your body from lower to up. And the most important muscles is your biggest muscles, your ass, right? Your butt. <laughs> so you have to squeeze it and you, you, you'll physically lift off the seat, right? That's how I know I'm doing it correctly. So that squeezes the blood out of your lower extremities. And then you have to uh, take a breath in and close your uh, glottis, the, the back of your mouth. And basically you just, like you're gonna say the word hook, but you, you stop halfway through. So it looks like this. You strain, hook. <laughs> wow. 
Yeah. So you can see I can. What it does is it pressurizes your uh, your heart, and then it pressurizes the blood into your brain. And it yeah, it looks weird, but. And uh, I hope that never comes in handy. But I'm glad I'm glad that I have that in my back pocket now. But I suppose you also have to have the presence of mind to remember this when you're, you know, yeah. feeling like you're going to pass out any second. You have to do it before, actually. Uh, if you're feeling like you're passed out, it, it's too late in a fighter. You'll be uh, passed out, and it's very Game dangerous. Over. Actually, yeah, people die every year. Fighters crash literally every year. Uh, the pilot dies. Um, they have instituted new upgrades in my fighter the f-16 they finally instituted an auto correcting mechanism and they they uh made the the g-suits the things we wear around our legs to they squeeze your uh your legs and your butt actually they made those longer and better so but still yeah people die all the time progress have you have you ever had to uh bail from an aircraft you've ever had to eject no luckily i haven't um my friends that have, I mean, it's they have amazing stories, obviously unbelievable, but usually their backs are more jacked up. Actually, it, my back's totally jacked up. You know, most fighter pilots, it's either because of the Gs, right? So I'm saying if you're fighting, if I'm fighting someone, usually if there's an offensive or defensive position, if, it, if you're in defense, which does happen, you know, to even the best pilots, then, uh, you know, you're looking back over your shoulder. Well, you have to look this way. You know, so a lot of times you're fighting like this and you want to win, you know, you really want to win. So you're not going to release the G just so you can move your neck and pull. So we all just, everyone just has broken necks and backs. Um, you really need to get a, really, really need to get a rear, you really need to get a rear view mirror in there, don't they really? They have those in F-15s, but it, no, it's not good enough, you know. If someone's pointing <laughs> a gun at you, I don't think you want to be like, hmm, I wonder if they're pointing a gun at me. <laughs> Is that pointed right in my head or off to the left? You know, I think you want to be ashamed of Yeah, guns in the rearview mirror may appear closer. Um, so, I mean, last thing I'll ask you on this, I suppose, and I apologize in advance because I imagine you get this all the time. Uh, is I mean, everyone's frame of reference for this sort of thing is obviously the movies, specifically Top Gun. And it just so happened last year, Top Gun, I believe it was last year, time's flying. Last year, Top Gun Maverick was the biggest grossing, one of the biggest grossing movies of all time, certainly of that particular year. And I'm always interested to get the perspective of actual pilots because I know Tom Cruise really leans on this idea of realism and, and doing as much as they can in camera without the help of big budget CGI effects. I, first of all, have you seen that film? And if so, uh, is it the kind of thing where you look and go, oh, they've done a good job there? Or do you kind of laugh along and shake your head and, and, and notice all the things that they get wrong? Yeah, I, I love the movie, actually. I made a, uh, I have, on my YouTube channel, which is usually about UFOs, I made a video, a uh, reaction video to that uh, movie, actually. No one watched it. Oh, great. It. No, nobody cares. Oh, yet. I'm going <laughs> to watch it when we finish talking, for sure. Yeah, it's, no, I talk all about it. I, I think, I thought it was a great video, actually. I was proud of it. Um, yeah, I thought it was, he was spot on with the realism, like um, the flying scenes, even the, it was obviously Hollywood advised or whatever, you know, it was over Hollywood, you know, the real, what they skipped out of all of it is just the intense studying, you know, um, I would say way more professionalism. You just wouldn't see the sort of recklessness that he does, but I, I don't know it either way. It's uh, the realism was there. It was maybe, you know, um, maybe given a little too much sparkle, et cetera. But yeah, mm. I thought the, the flying scenes are amazing. Um, that's good. Yeah. So a bit, bit more hyper realistic than realistic, I suppose, but that, that's the entertainment 
aspect, isn't it? I imagine. Um, yeah. So let's let's segue nicely into UFOs or UAPs, as I think it's become necessary to refer to them. I've always been a massive UFO headed through my teens. I went through a huge X-Files phase and read everything I could on UFOs. And then as I became an adult, I became a very cynical skeptic. And uh, now I, I don't believe anything at all. Um, so, but I mean, what's been interesting these last few years or so certainly is some of the declassified footage we've seen from the Pentagon. We've had uh, eyewitness testimony from credible people, pilots, people in your, in your uh, line of work. And it seems like there's been a resurgence in interest. So when did you start getting interested in this whole phenomenon? I was kind of the opposite from you. So I didn't believe anything um, until 2021, really two, two, two years ago. I, I'd already even started a, a YouTube channel. And so I was making videos every week. And then I watched the interview with David Fravor. He was Commander Fravor. He was the F-18 pilot who saw the Tic Tac. He engaged the Tic Tac. And he what he went on Lex Friedman and Joe Rogan and Fighter Pilot podcast, all of those, and gave these really lengthy interviews. And you know he is your, you know, classic, you know, badass fighter pilot. You know, he's kind of nerdy, loves planes. You know, can literally tell you probably every detail in you know how many manuals. You know, I've, I didn't meet him, but I've known him. You know, I know that guy. I know him. I felt like I know him, just like you would know some other in close professional. Um, yeah, I don't know. It just seems like for hearing that it seemed like I was there, you know, it was, I couldn't discount it. It was just so, yeah, ridiculous. Yeah. You know, there's four witnesses that saw it Four <laughs> fighter pilot witnesses. You know, I just, I can't imagine they would lie to me, you know, yeah. that so. that's the interesting thing to me because I mean, what I really like about Fravor's testimony for me is, is the fact that he's not making any extraordinary claims. He's not making any conclusions. He's basically just explaining what he saw uh, and openly admitting he doesn't really know what it is. Nothing he says relies on any sort of conspiracy theory or the, you know, a suspension of disbelief in 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 sort of the you know the nature. Uh, well, maybe a little bit physics certainly. So I, I'm I found that really compelling. However. Uh, it still really only counts as anecdotal evidence. Now, you wouldn't want to accuse someone like that of being a liar, but it seems without any sort of corroborating evidence to back them people up. It, uh, the sceptical cynic in me would say the overwhelming probability is they are mistaken. How, how would you argue against that position? Yeah, I mean, that's where I'd say, yeah, witness accounts, you know, although we take them in court, for some reason, we don't accept with the with UFOs and UAPs, right? So let's just, yeah, a normal witness account is usually just discarded. But in this case, and what's even more compelling is that there's there's so much other data. You know, I basically I've interviewed uh, two people who literally saw the Tic Tacs with binoculars. You know, standing on on the Princeton, basically. You know, from the bridge. With binoculars, they get a call from the Kevin Day. He was the uh, running the uh, the radar, basically saying, you know, what's going on over here? And he looks over there and he's like, you know, watches this crazy. It was this light formation. He said there was like six lights went in a circle like this and then disappeared. And so well, maybe and we can just talk. Radar from the ship. Then there's radar from the E2 Hawkeye. Then there was the video as well that same day. You know, so there's a video with the flare video. So I, yeah. I guess the, the short answer is 
there's tons of corroborating data, especially on that case. It's just amazing. Yeah, that's what makes this one especially exciting for me because there's something definitely there. There's something physically being observed by not only the human eye, but, uh, you know, very comprehensive, you know, sophisticated uh, equipment as well. Yeah. So, I mean, just just keeping on this idea of the, the Tic Tac sighting as it's been dubbed, many people would have heard of it, maybe some haven't, but what are some of the, you know, uh, descriptive features of this, this thing in the terms of uh, basically size, uh, what it, you know, what it appeared to be made of and, and how it moved. Uh, what, how did people describe these things? Yeah, the, it, it moved. Uh, I've heard different descriptions, um, but basically like, like a ping pong ball inside invisible walls um, or without inertia. Um, so what did, it, what did it look like is a Tic Tac, literally uh, the white candy Tic Tacs. You know, that's all they could think of. It's like a the Mork and Mindy kind of cylindrical white. <laughs> so that's yeah. what they said. Just a tic tac. There was nothing on it. There was no windows or markings. Did anyone or detect or a? Did anyone detect a spearmint odor of any sort? <laughs> yeah, they didn't detect anything. There was no uh, sonic booms. That's the weird thing. You know, you ask how it moved. So uh, basically, when they saw it, so David Fravor, he gets vectored onto it. That guy I mentioned, Kevin Day. He was tracking them on the radar. He was saying they were coming from 80,000 feet, basically from space, that they were being tracked from this ballistic missile system before then. So their new radar, their new fancy radar on the Aegis uh, cruiser, it's the Princeton, Princeton uh, missile cruiser, um, it can look up to 80,000 feet. So he says he sees these contacts coming down to 28,000 feet, zero feet. He's out there finally. This is after a week or so. They bring the radar down. They bring it back up. They think it's issues with the radar. So he sends out David Fravor. David Fravor happens to be flying that day on a mission, and he goes out a training mission. And then as he as he gets there, he sees the tic tac. So it's just a white object over the water, moving around in this kind of just erratic manner. He says it's going like back and forth and 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 forward and back. And there's like a big patch. He said about the size of a seven forty seven. So about the size of an aircraft under the underwater, there's some disturbance in the water about that size. And the Tic Tac's basically moving back and forth over this disturbance uh, in the water. Um, and so, you know, David Fravor, like I, like, like I hope every good fighter pilot would, is like, I'm going to go check this thing out. So he descends down, right? And as he's descending down now, this thing stops and comes up to where he is, right? And it just comes up. Without inertia, I mean, we cannot do that in a fighter. You know, in a fighter, in order to go from surface up to 12,000 feet, you know, you can watch it air shows. They got to go, you know, start getting really fast, go fast, 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 get up all this, you know, kinetic energy and then convert it into potential energy, right? This thing just goes, you know, energy, <laughs> whatever, comes up and basically is across the circle. You know, we fight in circles uh, as fighters. And, and so he's across the circle. And he says it's about the same size as an F-18. So an F-18's, you know, I think it's almost 60 feet, but they say it's 40 feet, I guess, is, is the numbers they came up with. So he's just flying with this thing, like, what is that thing? I want to go check it out. I hope like every good fighter pilot would. So he he cuts across the circle. You know, if you're in a circle, you cut across. So he dips low to get a, get across. This is how you would also shoot someone, by the way. And and so he, he goes like that. And as he's getting close to it, it just, he said they just disappeared. Uh, like a bullet, so over the horizon. Uh, and he said it just disappeared, and there was his wingman, Alex Dietrich, she was up high, just orbiting. When he went down to check it out, he said, hey, stay here, that normal uh, normal cover, shooter cover type stuff. And, and so 
she's above. She says it moves around in this weird way. And then again, shot out. And then there was another witness um, who also saw it. By the way, they have back seaters. So they have people in the back seat. So it was two people in each aircraft, all cooperating. So <laughs> I don't know how you explain that, you know? And, yeah. That's exciting, isn't it? And then I suppose that throws up the question of, I suppose, just off the top of my head, there may be more that I've not thought of right now, but three possibilities, some sort of natural phenomenon, um, foreign or maybe domestic technology that we're not aware of, aware of, or extraterrestrials. Now, I mean, where, where's your gut lie here? What, what do you think this tells us, if anything? Yeah, I mean, it's this is a great case, you know, and I think really if we could get access to all the data that the government actually has, because, you know, the day, the next day, actually, and I've talked to, the, again, Kevin Day, Gary Voorhees, they were on the, they were on the ship, um, and basically they said the next day, and the E-2 Hawkeye, actually, uh, people showed up in Air Force uniforms, and they took all of the data. So they took all of the radar data, and they took all of the top secret uh, new uh, Aegis cruiser data, right? This brand new ship. I, that that radar data is still top secret, you know, and it's, this is from 20-something 20, 20 years ago, and these people just walked on and walked off with it, you know? And that stuff, that top secret data, we don't just leave laying around, you know? So I think it's tra it should be tracked. Where did that go? Where is the top secret data? And I hope they're analyzing it, you know, to get some actual answers on this. Um well, it's worth pointing out at this point that this subject's always highly popular on the show. And uh, if anyone wants to get some questions in for Chris at, at this point, put them in the comments and I will put the best ones to him. Uh, we've had a couple already, actually. Uh, I'm hoping you know who this individual is. D. Stews asked, uh, well, said rather, Stephen Greer says that the Tic Tac is actually deep black budget technology for the USA. Who's Stephen Greer? And, and what do you think about his yeah. claim? Dr. Stephen Greer, he is a he is a, a crazy character. It seems like everyone in the UFO world <laughs> is just a character out of a book. I mean, honestly, Stephen Greer, he he worked with Bill Clinton. He's worked with all of these presidencies, actually, as some sort of advisor. And then I think in 2000, he launched the Disclosure Project. And he basically came out and had all these big press conferences. Um, yeah, and so recently he he started the CE five movement. CE five is a contact event five, and basically it's a it's a protocol where at night you can go out, get in a meditative state. Uh, I don't know if you need to do it in a group; you can do it alone, and you can, I guess, contact these orbs or entities. Um, he also says that there's no you cannot say anything about a threat. You know, if you go to their Discord and you say, you know, oh aliens could possibly be a threat because we don't know what they are. I think, you know, you'll be kicked off. I, I don't know if you'll be kicked off, but um, they don't accept that it's a threat. And I don't know, you, going back to the question on what do I think it is? I think if you look at the propensity of data, right? I just talked to a guy, I was just playing paddle tennis uh, two days ago, PK. He's from uh, Fairford. He said in Fairford, this was in 1986. He was seven year old, seven, year, seven years old. He's outside with his family and there's eight people out there and they're just hanging out. All of a sudden this object just appears in the sky and the object, it looked like a box with like a triangular scaffolding and then some sort of ball, right? Appeared. 
And so they're all, they look at each other like, you see that? And they're like, yeah. And then they, they're like, what is that? You know? And, and as soon as they like kind of started going towards it, it just totally just disappeared, um, vanished. Right. Like a bullet again, no sound. And again, no supersonic. Like you should, if you go faster than the speed of sound, you should, everyone should hear it like a bullet. Bullets are loud because they also pass the speed of sound. Um, he said two days later, they called to the, uh, the local airport. They knew someone that worked there and said, uh, reported it. Do you guys see anything? No, we didn't see anything. Two days later, um, four to five suits show up. So government UK show up at their door, separate the whole family into different rooms and interrogate them and, you know, ask him to draw the object again, ask him what happened. He remembers it because he was eight and he remembers crying because he's alone in there with this dude asking him to draw this, this uh, UFO, right? And yet it's just couldn't possibly be true, right? I mean, yeah, it just seems ridiculous. And then I hear thousands of those. I mean, literally, maybe not thousands. I hear hundreds. Um, and I think it's just so more, much more ubiquitous than we think, because up until now, if you mention it, everyone thinks you're crazy. And, and there's many stories of that as well. So the stigma is very strong. Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, another few questions, actually, for you. Um... So, uh, Siago guitarist, in reference back to the TikTok sighting, he said, "Didn't it? Didn't it end up at their cat point and hover there for hours and hours?" Um, I'd have to ask Kevin if I don't remember if they saw it actually later on. But I so what I remember is uh, they send David Fraber to go intercept. They knock off their exercise they had planned engagement. They go. They see the tic tac. They come back and land. When they're coming back to land, as they're as they're driving back home, the radar operators say, "Hey, it's at your cap point." So basically, the cap point is where your your combat air patrol point. It's like your home point. You know, in the sky, we say, "Hey, here's where we're going to go to to hold and start our fight." Um, you pick that for every fighting engagement, et cetera. And so, it would have had to go very very fast, like hypersonic, to get from where they were back to their cap point, right? Because they had gone off 60 miles. So it went 60 miles, I think, in less than a few minutes or something. It was, uh, or anyway, it was, it was very fast. Um, so I think that's what he's referring to. And, and that's what I hear a lot is, how did it know the cap, their cap point? You know, um, was it like mind reading or, you know, uh, or how did it know the cap point? And did, did it read out of their systems? Um, yeah, I, I'm not sure. Normally we pick cap points based on uh, just kind of general coordinate locations. We could they go there all the time, so it could have known through that way. But I don't remember it being there for hours. Okay. Um, James has asked, "Do you have any friends who have seen strange things at Groom Lake, which is uh, an Air Force base, I believe?" Uh, I th yeah, the Navy uses it a lot actually as well. Um, no, I you know I haven't heard any. Uh, fighter pilot UAP stories. You know, I didn't hear any. We we never even thought of it. Honestly, never thought of it. I I went through training in, in Phoenix, and that's where one of the famous, uh, most famous sightings was was Phoenix Lights. Uh, also, Gulf Breeze. I trained at Gulf Breeze, and one of the one of the most famous uh, sightings was there as well. So we never talked about it or even considered it, um, and I haven't heard since. Okay, so I believe you also released a video on your channel uh, yesterday, last night. Uh, and you feel that you have footage of a, a UAP in HD. Maybe you can explain a little bit about what you have there and, and how you're able to verify that. Yeah, well, verification, you know, how do you verify anything? Um, 
especially in today's age, how do you verify anything? And if you look even at Gimbal and Nimitz, like I just said, they have, there's video actually footage from both of those. You have known open pilot testimony, you know, multiple witnesses, there's radar data and, and still, we don't know, you know, there's still debate. It's still, it could be just glare on the windshield, you know? Um, so in this case, it's just, it's one guy. He's a, he's an autistic man in his fifties. He's from, uh, Australia. So he lives down in Australia and he's had crazy experiences. You know, he's had three really strange UAP, UFO, whatever you want to call them experiences in his life. And this was the third one and he got a video. Um, and this one he's, he was out traveling with, uh, with his friend. She's asleep in the tent. It's uh, it's late at night. He's drinking a cup of tea and he says he sees a shooting star go across the horizon and it was red he said and he thought it was uh like something breaking up you know like a satellite or something but then he said it came back and it came back at a different speed than it than it went and it stopped right over his camp he says um and lowered down you know basically and that that is the video it's a one minute and six minute or one minute and a six second video um and it yeah it's an amazing video um that being said, immediately, it doesn't matter. Uh, everyone's like, it's a, it's a flashlight, you know? Uh, <laughs> this guy duped you. How can you do it? Now, to verify it, uh, no. So I spent two months. That was the hardest thing. You, you said, how do you verify it? And that, that was literally the hardest thing um, is basically we, we find out who he is. Um, he wanted to maintain an, uh, his, uh, his identity secret, which I totally agree with. Um, I, I mean, you're going to just get hassled. But I also think we need the information. So somebody needs to verify it. So basically we got his ID, we did a background check. Um, we, we did a, you know, saw him in person, did a, an interview that I'm releasing on Friday. And then I asked, uh, Ross Coltart, he's a famous, um, Australian journalist, actually. He's one of the few mainstream journalists I I've even heard of that, uh, that do, does UAPs and he's done some amazing work in UFOs and UAPs. I had him on my show. And so I contacted him and he was amazing and, and did like a, a much better investigation than me or interviewed him to, again, went through. Uh, just talked, chatted with local police, et cetera. And yeah, so that's as far as you can go, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I guess, I don't know what it will take. It'll take a mass sighting and that's what it'll take. And, and that's why uh, I started a business, UAP Society. We're creating digital collectibles. I know that's huge right now, but digital collectibles is crypto to try and raise money to, to purchase and, and deploy these camera systems called Sky360. I think if you can get like multiple decentralization, you know, decentralized cameras videoing the same thing, you know, then um, we can get m much more data, much more provable uh, data. And just to go back to your your question, I didn't, I think I didn't fully answer is, if you look at all those sightings and you go back, all the stuff the government has <laughs> has uh, investigated, and if you consider that there are literally trillions of galaxies around. Um, I think it's obvious that the aliens are here and they're just covertly. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know how else to say it. You know, I mean, if if they are here and we don't know, then that's really, really suspicious to me. And that really drives me to find out, you know. Yeah, I think I'd need one to land on my lawn and then knock on the door. And I think then I might start being a bit more open-minded <laughs> to the whole thing. But yeah. it's really exciting. And you just mentioned some sort of camera uh, surveillance technique there. I mean, maybe you can tell me a little bit about these cameras and, and how on earth would yeah. you know where to point them? 
yeah, I'd, I'd love to talk about it. It's called sky360.org. It's basically, it's a, it's a grassroots nonprofit based out of uh, Austria now. It started in the U.S. actually. And the idea is you put out these uh, camera systems. You can build them at your home. So say you, you, you see a UFO or, and you want to prove it or you want to help or you're excited about the project or whatever, uh, you just order the parts. There's a part list on their website, right? You order the parts from Amazon. And they, that's the hardest part is uh, getting a global supply list, et cetera. And then they have the plans to build the camera system on GitHub as well as uh, the, the free download for that and the software to run it on GitHub. And so they're aiming to make these systems cost 1,000 euro essentially, but with inflation, it's gone up, et cetera. Uh, but uh, yeah, so basically you have one camera that's always looking up. So it's a fisheye. So it sees the whole... Uh, the whole sky, right? But where the problem mount, is, where, where do you mount this? Uh, you put it in any sky area. So the, initially, we'll put it in UAP hotspots. I mean, so, I mean, does it go on a tripod? Does it? Do you have to fix? Yeah, it it's a, it's an enclosure, maybe uh, you know one meter at the longest by you know quarter of a meter or less than that. So basically, a box. You know, it just needs Wi-Fi and electricity. And you need somebody to go clean it, right? I mean, they do need maintenance because <laughs> the camera is going to get, you know, there'll be snow, there'll be rain, um, you know, things will happen. So it, it'll require some sort of effort, maintenance, I think, by by people. Um, but there's so many people out there who have actually seen the, the aliens. So the aliens have reportedly, supposedly landed on their front lawn. And and a lot of them are not actually happy about it. It doesn't seem like it's a very good experience. Um, so, yeah, I'm serious. It goes through generations. So you have, uh, usually if, if you have, if you're an experiencer and you have these orbs and crazy sightings and stuff, it's probably going to go to one of your kids at least. So it travels through generations. Um, it's in all cultures, uh, native Indians, they talk about it. Um, you know, it, yeah. So anyway, I mean, they, just you to, build just this to play, system and you sorry deploy to it Just to play devil's advocate on that particular point about it traveling through generations. Is that not, potentially similar to a parent's religion passing down in the sense that it's the one taught in the house and it's the one that's around and it becomes a, a standard belief within, uh, you know, generations. Yes, uh, without a doubt. And, and it could also be just only um, in the mind, right? And, you know, maybe it, there is some crazy mass psychosis or something that's going on. Um, but I think even then, even then, the experiencers that I've talked to, people that are really kind of struggling with this, is uh, they want to find that out too. You know, <laughs> I, yeah. I think they can't believe that at this point. Um, the you know, but uh, I think either way, it's we should be investigating it. You know, either way, there's thousands, hundreds of thousands. I don't know how many people actually struggling with this, and nobody can talk about it. You know, I interviewed Ted Rowe uh, the other day. He's been investigating for 20 years. He said he talked to a, a lady. Um, who literally ties herself to a bed every night uh, because she was abducted one night, you know, and her family thinks she's crazy, blah, blah, blah. And, they, you know, it'd be good to find out either way, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, well, there's real trauma there, isn't there, by the sounds of it, regardless yeah. uh, of what happened. I mean, just, just to move back to these cameras, I mean, what makes these cameras so special in terms of their ability to observe uh, mm. that, say, a mobile phone doesn't have? Is, there some, is it a case of it's just always pointing at the sky, or is there something unique to the technology of the camera that would be especially helpful as well? Yeah, it's basically both of those things. 
Um, the, the biggest problem with cameras and why there, I really think there hasn't been a good video yet um, is the sensor. It's just so small. If you look at a camera, it, they're not really designed to get any videos or pictures past like five to 10 meters at the most, you know? So it'd be great if you had a telephoto is, is what we really need. So the idea is, and like you said, you have to have the camera there and ready and pointing. And I think most people, you know, as much as we want to talk, unless you're really prepared, right? Unless you're really prepared. If you're just walking along and you have a UFO experience, I don't think your first thought is to pull out your camera. Like I really don't, you know, if that, if, if it's a re assuming it's a reality, uh, you know, these experiences happen and people don't even think to pull out cameras. I've heard that multiple times, even with like 20 people out there. Um, so this way, kind of both. So you have bigger sensors and it's always searching up. So you have one sensor that's looking up for the whole sky. But what we really want is the zoom. We want to zoom in video. You know, we want to be able to read like, okay, that is, that is an alien spaceship. You know, nobody can say that's not an alien spaceship. Um, so really the, what we found is we use AI and, and I was, the, my big concern is what it was not going to work because you have to use AI processing real time to be able to point the other camera, right? So you have to identify, cause there's always something flying over. There's always something flying over. There's, there's ice, there's bugs, there's wind, there's clouds. Um, the conditions are actually changed very much. So for a, for a, uh, identification system, it's quite difficult and you really need good AI optical identification where it could be like, okay, yeah, that's a bird, that's a plane, uh, et cetera. And you need it real time, right? Because you have to point the big, the, the, the zoom in camera, you can't point the zoom in camera at everything, or you're going to wear out your system and, and it's not going to work anyway. Um, so we really needed the AI software and I was worried that wasn't going to work. Right. And then ChatGPT three came out and within a month they solved uh, basically most of the AI coding. So it was like solved, not even, you didn't even need ChatGPT4. It, was, it already accelerated it. So I think we're so ready I'm, to deploy in June. I'm assuming this AI then is teaching the system what not to be interested in. So to recognize a plane and say, we don't want to look at that, to recognize a, an insect flying past the lens and say, we don't want to look at that. Is that essentially it? Actually, no. Actually, the um, the, the ChatGPT, what that helped uh, the coders with was actually just doing the, the literal coding. So they were able just to code the actual systems just by asking ChatGPT, you know, hey, how do you code this? <laughs> you know, <laughs> and then it wrote it out. And he's like, if I wanted it to do this, what would you write in a code? And and that literally is how they they broke it. They just broke it by this that AI technology is going to break everything in the world essentially. So um, that was amazing. Um, and what you really and then what they needed and uh, Sky360 has done it on their Discord is basically you need really good training data. So that's the difficult part is you have to have humans actually go through and, and teach the AI, know that that's a plane, that's a, that's a bug, you know, and that's a plant. Uh, and that takes a lot of time and effort, which they've okay. done. Well, another question, Paul Morgan has asked, Paul Morgan rather has asked, what do you think of the Travis Walton case? Now, apologies if you're not familiar with Travis Walton. I, I I am not enough to talk on it. I'm sorry. I just I've read about it, but I don't I don't recall. Um, yeah, I believe he was abducted. Yeah, I can't remember. Sorry. That's all right. Not a problem. Um, Linda's asked something. Linda Glass has asked something that we all think about, and this is 
completely linked to the idea of UFOs and extraterrestrial sightings in, you know, in mythology, film, law, conspiracies, and that is Area 51. Uh, so to get your basic thoughts on Area 51 in regards to what's, what's happening there, uh, she's asked, uh, why is it so protected, basically? Well, that's where they have the alien spaceships. You know, do, you, <laughs> do you believe that? I, I, yeah. I mean, I, again, I have to go back to the preponderance of evidence suggest it you know i really feel kind of betrayed um <laughs> lied to but i guess you have to it looks like that could be a, a possibility actually i mean we've heard they they actually in the u.s this past december they passed a new law that protects whistleblowers and so if there are programs that would prove extraterrestrial life then those whistleblowers will be protected According to That's this interesting. New law. And, yeah. and that would apply even in areas of national security, then, I suppose. That's often a, a loophole, isn't it? Well, I think they would have to tell Congress. That's the point. So what's been happening, what's happened in the U.S. is Congress has been effectively briefed or convinced that that they've been lied to. They've, I guess they've talked to enough people who have convinced, you know, key Congress members that there is a program, there has been a program, they do have craft, there is actual material. Um, yeah, I mean, if you imagine, say, you know, that ex extraterrestrials actually exist, then you can keep that secret, you know, just pretend, of course, they don't exist. And then you can look all around the whole world for ar interesting archaeological finds, right? Um, that's the whole conspiracy theory after uh, uh, Operation Paperclip it was really the Nazis, really, they'd been all around the world looking for these crazy uh, UFO, uh, alien technologies, etc. You know, and then actually after World War II, and this is true, is uh, I think it was 1,000 German scientists went to work at the CIA. Uh, it was, or it was half of them went to the CIA. Anyway, it was built out of that program. Literally, the, I mean, it, you just read, you read it, and you're, it is true that science that hundreds of scientists, however it is, went to work at the CIA. That is true. The CIA was stood up um, along with the whole U.S national secret black budget apparatus um it was like two months after roswell and then <laughs> now we, we've had black budgets since then um if you look at the kennedy assassination right kennedy they still won't release the files um, but supposedly again maybe it's a hoax but supposedly 10 days prior he had sent a letter to the head of the cia asking for um information on any ufo files uh, you know then he's assassinated so it's i don't know there's just so much uh yeah, it seems like there's so much there. Well, there's a conspiracy theory I've just thought of this moment, which I want to run by you, get your opinion on in real time. And that is, what if all these UAP, UAP sightings, rather, is just really advanced Chinese spy technology of some sort? And that's also why they're sending these really rudimentary air balloons into American airspace to say, look, this is the extent of our technology in this area. Nothing else to see here. Maybe these Chinese balloons uh, are a double bluff to make a cover story for their far more advanced technology that they don't want us to know about. What do you reckon? Yeah, I mean, that argument, um, maybe I don't believe in it, but it's valid going back, you know, just a decade or maybe two decades, right? But like 2004, that's when the Nimitz happened, like we were talking about David Fravor. Um, they definitely didn't have that technology. You know, there's no way. 
back in 2004. They had that at least, you know, I, uh, my job in 2007 was literally to study the Chinese and Russian uh, air forces, you know, using all of our secret uh, capabilities. Um, and they had nothing close to that, you know, like you couldn't go supersonic without uh, causing a shockwave, uh, et cetera. So, yeah. Okay, tell me a bit about the uh, the Harvard astrophysicist Avi Loeb. He's written multiple articles, apparently, uh, discounting the Kiev captures as artillery, artillery rather, or other military projectiles. So that's what you'll always have. You'll always have a skeptical response that try their best to sort of explain uh, anything that's classed as a UAP in a more grounded, earthly way. Have you have you looked at? Do you look at much of the rebuttals to a lot of the UAP sightings? Uh, without a doubt. Yeah. Without a doubt. Yeah. I think it's a, it's a huge part. We need to have, we need to have an open debate, right? You know, I think that the, the past 80 years where if you mention UFO or anyone says a, you know, mentions a crazy story that happened to them, um, you know, the past where we just think they're crazy is not going to work, right? It's just, it's still going, it's still, it's been 80 years. It's still going on, you know, like <laughs> you, you, we can continue to just put our heads in the sand. Um, but I think both sides need to consider, uh, the perspectives. Like I, I'm not, a, I, I'm not a hundred percent sure either. I have never seen actually any crazy, uh, UAP or anything, you know, I'm, you know, I'm just really curious and I guess I believe other, other humans, uh, you know, when they say it, but sorry to get to your question is, so Avi Loeb, um, he is, yeah, he's, he's the Harvard astrophysicist. He's one of the probably the only real mainstream scientist that I know of that has even argued for the extraterrestrial hypothesis, um, which is interesting, right? Because he pushes for the UFO. Uh, you know, he definitely is one of the only scientists pushing to actually investigate UFOs, but um, he, he considers any kind of objects like that, like the Tic Tac or something that can move impossible to our current physics as I, I think not possible, right? He's in that camp, I think, that uh, you can't travel faster than the speed of light, so they couldn't they couldn't possibly be here. So I released a recent video after the Kiev uh, astronomers. There's basically astronomers in Kiev, Boris Zilyev and uh, Viktor Petrunov, and their normal day jobs is monitoring the sky for meteor uh, impacts, it's basically for science. And they've noticed these crazy other very fast moving objects he called cosmics and phantoms and they they've released two uh, three papers now and i think the third one will get peer reviewed finally and so now that's that's what we need is is the debate uh, yeah that'll be interesting when we've got some you know credible peer reviewed science behind it documenting these things because there's clearly something there that needs explaining i suppose it just it just comes down to what conclusions people are making at this point i'm in the i'm in the i want to believe section but really I'm desperate for some sort of tangible evidence. I feel like I feel like it'd be on my bucket list uh, to find evidence of extraterrestrial life before I before I shuffle off. I'm not asking for anything dramatic. I don't need little green men or Independence Day level um, invasions. Well, just, what would uh, it take? You know, I guess that, that's the question because there's already many videos. There's already, um, you know, there's many, many accounts, personal accounts. Yeah. I think the problem is with all the videos we've got, there's definitely something being filmed, but it's impossible to see what it is. There's something there, but nobody can tell you conclusively what it is. I think we need some sort of 4K 
footage uh, of, of a clear clear mechanical or you know you know aircraft that's not from this earth which is also corroborated by many eyewitness mm. testimonies i just don't think the video footage we've got albeit very interesting and, and, and worth definitely worth investigating is just not the smoking gun yet i'm uh, i'm very hard to please i think but in terms of in terms of alien I life agree I, with I, you, I think i think yeah i think you're yeah. right you're spot on I think in terms of alien life, I'd settle for like a fossilized microbe on a, on Mars or something that that'd do me uh, quite happily. But um, do you are you confident then that in your lifetime we will we will crack uh, the, the the biggest question in this regard as to whether we are being visited from from other worlds? I think so. Yeah, I think we will. Yeah, I think with I mean, AI. I mean, I, I'm a YouTuber. I'm right at the cutting edge of AI, and I have an NFT company, like I mentioned. Um, uh, yeah, I think we're going to be able to answer any question we kind of want. Uh, and is there not a risk that um, this AI will turn up, turn us over and become our robot overlords? I mean, I, I have seen the 1984 documentary, The Terminator, <laughs> and uh, that I'm sure sure that's there's some kind of warning in there about our dalliance with, with AI. I mean, from my interaction with ChatGPT4, I'd rather have them and can control of our country and nations than uh, than what we have I, I mean that's what i say the the biggest danger actually is uh that ai is is only a tool that doesn't understand it's not smart enough to understand what damage it's causing um but it'll be a tool that humans will use for evil i, I don't think the ai is the, is the pro it's humans using the ai for for nefarious purposes but no i think ai will will give us a, a energy abundance i think we'll have energy abundance in the next 10 years I think people won't have to work as soon as robots come online. So I don't know. It, it, people won't believe it now that I'm saying it, but I think in 10 years, we won't need, you know, labor. That's very interesting. I mean, I suppose one of the, the worrying aspects of, of AI, then people have raised concerns about this. I mean, we live in a, a very information saturated age as it is. It's becoming very difficult for people to distinguish what's fake versus what's real in terms of reporting, you know, big news stories. We've had this term fake news thrown around, obviously, thanks to the uh, last US president. But we're now getting to a point with AI now where we can recreate someone's voice almost flawlessly. It'll get to the point where it will be flawless. It'll get to the point where you can recreate someone's physical characteristics and be photorealistic. How are we going to be able to separate the real from the not real in terms of our global politics and news? We'll use AI. <laughs> yeah, it's the same thing. In, uh, Throw fire was, on the fire. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I trained. Uh, I was an electronic attack specialist. I kind of mentioned I studied the Chinese and Russian. It was their electronic attack systems. And right. anytime a new technology would come out, right? And and actually, that's kind of interesting because they they saw these tic tacs and they saw these gimbal objects on the east coast because they had just upgraded to actively scanned uh, uh, radars, which is basically electronically scanned. You know, you remember the old radars go like this. You know, right. you see them in there. That's mechanical. The new ones, it's just a flat plate, like on that Aegis cruiser, you know, the Princeton. You see those weird flat plates? It's just an electronic antenna now instead of a mechanical. Um, so that big breakthrough actually was kind of what gave them the breakthrough uh, to see these things, I guess. Or maybe it caught the aliens by surprise, maybe. Um, but the point is, for every time that comes in, what happens right away? The jammers, the jammers get the same technology, right? So you get, you get radars that have the new technology. They have like about that much time at an advantage, and then you have jammers uh, that are going to counteract. So it, it's a tool, it's a technology. I think it'll be everywhere. So I think actually it'll be the reverse. Um, you know, if you're looking now, like you can find um, now they're catching these serial killers, right? 
mm-hmm. from like 60 years ago. Did you hear about that in, uh, in California? I've been like, keeping a low profile since those stories started breaking. Yeah, for but reasons I love it. Man. I'm, I'm so pumped because they, they, this dude, this serial killer, they caught right, and I don't know all the details. You, you can look. Basically, he, it wasn't even through him, right? They basically got someone sent in DNA samples to 23andMe. Yes, and then they linked it. Not even he never he he was totally clean. Right? They linked it back to him through like someone in his distant family taking a DNA test, right? That's, and that's crazy. Now. Yeah. So think about that. That was, so that's from whatever, five years ago, looking back to the, what the sixties. Okay. And they can find that. So imagine what they can find now that the U S government, the NSA was literally recording everyone's telephone conversations. You know, I think you'll be able to ask AI, like, you know, who killed John F. Kennedy, you know, or, uh, who murdered Jane or who stole the milk down the street. And I think it'll be like, here's your, here's your data. And it'll be like, this guy, you know, so that's I, crazy. All, people yeah. out, all you people out there, the scammers, the people with, uh, I think karma is going to come back. It's going to come back in the form of, we're going to know what you did actually. Their days <laughs> are numbered for sure. Just to finish on a very quick anecdote about 23 and me, which I'll probably, my missus will probably tell me off for telling this, but I, I had one of those kits bought for me years ago and I find them fascinating and I found lots about my ancestry and every now and then periodically I'll get an email from them saying we have found some new DNA relatives and I'll be able to complete my family tree and my partner, we've been together 20 years now and she decided she wanted one of these kits. So I bought one as, as, as a present and she, you know, sent the sample in. And she got an email back a few weeks late saying, we have processed your results. And the very uh, day she got that email, I got an email saying, we found new DNA relatives, <laughs> which which gave us a very moment of panic uh, before I had to log on and make sure everything was fine. But that 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 could have been a that could have been a moment of where maybe ignorance could have been bliss, if you know what I mean. Yep. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> it's going to be interesting for sure. Without a doubt. I can't, I can't believe I shared that on a live stream. All right, Chris. Well, maybe you can tell people where they can uh, find your YouTube channel and, and more more of your content. Excellent. Yeah, YouTube's just my name, Chris Lato. It's called The Lato Files. And I'm also on Twitter. You can see there at ChrisOtis78. Otis was my call sign. I, I don't tell anyone why I got it. Oh, that's ruined my next question then. We'll, we'll just have to, um, <laughs> have to make something up like Bob in Top Gun Maverick. Nobody knows yep. what that was about, do we? Okay, fair enough. Yep. And I will make sure to go and watch your Top Gun review, by the way, because it, uh, it sounds fascinating. But I've, I've really enjoyed speaking to you. This is such a, a fascinating topic. Uh, you're obviously clearly passionate about it. And I, I seriously hope we can have you back at some time uh, when you have the smoking gun to, to wave at me and, and uh, we make first contact. That would be amazing. Yeah, I would I would love to do that. Thanks, Stephen. No worries, Chris. Thank you very much. It's been, it's been a right. pleasure. Thank you. Take care. Ciao.